Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Munganas St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. And a pleasant good morning, everyone. I'm Mike Claiborne, and we will be here for the next two hours having a lot of conversation about a lot of things going on in sports, a lot of things going on this weekend. And we've got a big afternoon of college sports going on with St. Louis U in action at Chaffetz. We'll talk about that a little later. The women of their um, Billiken soccer team, they're over at Notre Dame playing today, so we'll have a chance to visit with Chris May later. Well, let's run down a few things that took place over the weekend. We'll start off with the St. Louis Blues. A tough night last night at the Enterprise Center. And one of the few nights that the Blues just didn't have it going. I mean, they were just flat and really kind of discombobulated, I think is a word I would use in their situation last night. We'll talk with Joy Vitale about the Blues of last night and the last couple of games. Clem Costin, uh, the much-talked-about young player in the Blues organization, had a chance to get some action last night. So we'll visit with Joey here in just a few minutes and get his thoughts on the Blues and what direction they're headed. Speaking of direction, not going in the right direction in Columbia, Missouri, as far as Missouri football is concerned, as the Tigers lost their fourth in a row. They lost to, Missouri, uh, to Florida yesterday, and the offense has uh, gone missing. Don't know how else to put it. Absent without leave is what I would say. We'll talk with uh, Barry Odom about that a little later and get his thoughts on what do you do next? I mean, you got to stop this bleeding with a four-game losing streak. You also need some offense, and you're trying to make sure you're bowl eligible. And We don't even know if they're going to be participating in a bowl because the NCAA has decided not to say anything. Don't get me started on the NCAA and how they do business, but this is a classic example. Missouri has played almost an entire season and yet to be able to hear from the NCAA who ruled on this uh, decision of probation and losing scholarships and losing uh, participation in bowl games. Uh, some time ago, Missouri appealed and was still waiting to hear something. On this, And also Illinois off today. They are bowl eligible, and that's been an incredible story to watch considering uh, they were almost left for dead a few weeks ago, but now they finally made a way through it. They're in a bowl situation, so let's see how they can end the regular season. Speaking of college football, this is going to be interesting. I think with Alabama losing their quarterback yesterday, Tua goes down with a hip injury. That might be a wrap on the Crimson Tide's playoff chances because unless they – blow out people on a regular basis and remind you, other than Auburn, they don't really have much on the schedule. And somebody else stubs their toe. I'm not sure if Alabama gets in. So the question is, who do you want to see or who don't you want to see in postseason? I don't think anybody would want to play Oklahoma. I don't think anybody would like to play Utah. There's some teams that are right there on the cusp, and they're just waiting for Ohio State or Georgia or LSU or Clemson to stub their toe. I wouldn't want to mess with Clemson right now either. That's that's a pretty good program also. But it's going to be a good team that's going to watch this thing on TV. They won't be participating. And I'm not sure if we've had 
more balance in the last few years when it comes to this playoff selection process where there may be another three or four teams that are good enough to be in the Final Four, but because they lost somewhere along the way or maybe the schedule wasn't as tough, they're going to find themselves watching somebody else play in their place. Moving right along, we have St. Louis U basketball going on this afternoon. Now, this is a good one. Number 12, Seton Hall is going to come to uh, Schaefer's. And if you recall, St. Louis U went there last season and won. They've got a guy who dropped 37 on Michigan State the other night. So I think Travis Ford and his staff will probably have to figure out how to slow him down. But when you look at St. Louis U and their offense, starting to kind of have some continuity. I like the fact that with each game on the non-conference schedule, it's better than the previous team. Uh, And I think that's a good way to assess what do you really have as far as your basketball team is concerned. And we'll get a better idea after the Billikens play Seton Hall a little later today. All right, for our lineup today, we're going to visit with Joey Vitale, as we mentioned. We'll talk some hockey with him. Also, uh, speaking of baseball, we'll have a chance to visit with the manager of the year. He is Mike Schilt. Chris Raby had a chance to visit with Mike just after it was announced. He was the National League manager of the year, so we'll have that. Barry Odom is scheduled to visit with us, and we'll have a chance to get his thoughts on what next for the University of Missouri. The president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, will join us. The general manager meetings took place in Arizona. A lot of stuff going on there uh, this past week, not only off the field as far as free agent signings, but the Houston Astros seem to garner a lot of attention. We'll also talk with Bob Nightingale of the USA Today, get his thoughts on what he thinks is going to happen, not only to Houston, but what is baseball going to do now that technology has made its way into the oh advanced scouting mode, I would say, as far as how teams are going to now start to scout teams. So we'll get Bob's thoughts on that and what he thinks the Cardinals might be in the market for in this offseason. So we've got all those things going on. We'll visit with a couple of other people along the way, but we invite you to join us. We're glad you're with us today, and we'll be back with Joy Vitale here on KMOX right after this. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Lindbergh. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. 1014 on a Sunday morning. Let's talk some hockey with Blues color analyst Joy Vitale. Joy, good morning. How are you, sir? Mr. Claiborne, it's been it's been too long. I miss these KMOX calls on a routine basis. It was good seeing you at the rink the other day, but I'm doing well, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I want to talk to you about this Blues team. You know, they play 82 games on the schedule, regular season, and every now and then you're going to have a game like what we saw last night where I just thought they just weren't in sync from, from the drop of the puck, and uh, they just never recovered against a team in Anaheim who kind of figured them out a little bit as far as how they wanted to play them. They're heavy team as well and it just seemed like the Blues never got any traction yeah you know I would agree with that assessment I thought that's you know how Curbs and I viewed it how we called it uh, last night at a conversation with Darren Pang uh, after the game as well and and that seems to be that seems the issue last night our stuff you know this is a uh, a team coming off a Stanley Cup championship uh big question Clay as you know coming into the season was will there be a hangover is there going to be a hangover Garmshaw addressed that right when he started early October. He said, "We've looked at the Washington Capitals, we looked at the Pittsburgh, the teams that have time in Dallas after winning the Cup as an assistant GM." And he said that October was generally a great month for these Stanley Cup defending champions. They're playing off the energy, the momentum from last season, but they really started to see a, a lull in November. If you look back over the last four to five champions, and and here we are now, we're in November. 
And I think we're starting to see what Doug Armstrong was trying to say. You're starting to see spurts where the Blues do look a little tired. Uh, injuries was going to be something to keep an eye on, given how short the offseason was. Well, there you go. Alexander Steen and Vladimir Tarasenko, two key pieces of this team, are now injured, and we are in November. Uh, game last night, it, they did look tired. They looked like they were on the back end of a back-to-back. Heavy minutes for Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly. It looked like it was trying, finally starting to come up and catch him a little bit. So, a uh, game last night that it did get out of hand a little bit off some costly mistakes, just mental errors that to me just really led to the fact that this team just does look a little bit tired. But the good news is they have a couple day reset, a good little homestand here, and they have some up and coming young players that are hopefully are going to bring some energy to the, to the lineup. Speaking of young players, give me your thoughts on Clem Costin and what you saw last night. And, and what sort of player do you envision him being? I, I know we've heard a lot about this young man uh, in the trade when the Blues made the deal. They Everybody thought he really had a lot, a lot of skill. But I haven't seen enough of him to actually say, okay, he's a top-line guy, he's a second-line guy, he's a power four. I don't know what he is as far as what the – end result would be when he starts to play on a regular basis in the National Hockey League. Well, Clays, I thought last night was a terrific start for him. You know, it's, it's obviously you're fighting off nerves, you're, you're anxious, you're, you're, it's your first NHL game. It's what players have dreamt about since they were kids. So, uh, you know, for his first game, I thought he exceeded expectations of how it should be for the first game. Now, if you look at his game as a whole, and then you say if Zach Sanford, was, take for example, would have played the same game, I think it would have been a pretty vanilla game for Zach Sanford. But the fact that it was Clint Costin's first game, I thought some really good things stood out. I thought he played heavy. I thought he got to the net very well. And, that, and that's an area for young guys that maybe they're a little tentative because it's, it's a big league, big defenseman, but he was fearless getting to the net. He had almost a rebound there chance in the second period after Robert Thomas threw at the net. He almost converted on. I thought he was physical. I mean, him and Good Branson, the big defenseman there, um, you know, last night for the Anaheim Ducks, they went at it about three or four times. So to me, that's that fearless, competitive edge that he plays with. He's got to stay on that edge. Doug Armstrong talked about it. Craig Berube talked about it before the game. He's got to play that simple game. He can't overextend himself. He doesn't need to go out there and think he's got to get uh, two goals and maybe a three-point night. He just got to keep it simple. Dump it in, be physical, puck possess, take the puck to the net when he needs to, maybe get a little scrappy if he needs to as well. I thought he did all those things last night. Right now, they have him in that third line left wing role, which I really like uh, for the for the sake of developing a player in their first game because you're playing with Tyler Bozak, who's maybe one of the more dependable players on this team right in the middle for him. I can see Clem Costin staying on that third line. I don't think he's going to drop to the fourth. I think he's got too much skill. Uh, to be a fourth-line winger. I think he can at least stay at the third. I do expect to see him maybe at the second or first at some point. I mean, Craig Ruby went to him last night, Claves, on that top line for a little bit. He actually got a shift or two with David Prawn and Ryan O'Reilly because Sanford, uh, just the, the chemistry wasn't quite there last night. He looked to switch it up a little bit. He's a big body. He's got offensive presence. He's not just physical and, and, and aggressive. I mean, he's, he can score. He's got a great shot and terrific release. He's got a big body like Pat Maroon where he seals the puck very well in front of the net. He's, he's a goaltender's nightmare because you can't really move him in front. So with all those things said, he's on the third line wing now, but I can see uh, because of the injuries that Craig Berube would like to see him develop maybe into that third line wing or maybe even a second and first, depending on how the guys in front of him look. Joey Vitale, Blues Color Analyst, is our guest here on KMOX. And Joey, you, you use the word keep it simple. And when people watch the St. Louis Blues as a team, they're not what you would call a dynamic team, but they just do the basics really better than a lot of other teams do, which is why I think they're a hard team to play against. Uh, you, it may look simple, 
But, you know, the reason why the good teams are good is because they accentuate the fundamentals better than everybody else. Uh, and I think we see that night in, night out. And when they get off kilter, man, that's what you see last. That's what you saw last night. Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, this, this team's motto uh, going back to halfway through the season was to play a certain way. And in that simple way you're talking about, Claves, you know, it's simple, yes, but is it easy? No. I mean, that, that's the difference. Because it's so simple, you think it's just mind, mind proof. Any hockey player can do it, but it's so simple. And these players are so good. It's such a boring style of hockey where so many players in this league don't accept it. They want to do something more flashy. They want to turn up at the blue line and, and force a puck through the middle of the ice because they're NHL players and they feel like they can. What makes this team so incredibly dynamic and great is the fact that they're okay just being simple and they're okay being um, that easy style, that, that almost predictable, but it's just it's just that style where it's just defeating when you're playing against it because it's just a chip. They cross the red line, they put it in, they have a forecheck, they're going to hit you, the second guy's going to hit you, they're going to finally get the puck back, and they're going to look to the front of the net, but unless they're 100% guaranteed that puck's going to get there, they're just going to hang on to it. They're going to spin off the check. They're going to keep it in the corner. They're going to work it behind the net. And over time, that just wears on the team. And, and as you see this blues, when they're at their finest, they're going to have a shift where they're doing that in the offensive zone. They're just holding on to the puck. They're not forcing anything in the middle. Then they get a line change. And then five fresh guys get on the ice. And then the opponent's, opponent's line is still on the ice. So they've been out there for 50 seconds while the Blues have a fresh line out there with, with young legs, energetic legs, and then they go to work. And that's that wave after wave approach that really has just been driving teams nuts going back to last Christmas and still to this season except for last night. You see teams, you just they don't know how to handle it. They see a whole new wave of blue jerseys coming out over the ice, and, and here they are completely gassed. So that's when that team looks good. They're not going to wow you by a two-on-one. They're not going to blow you away with some expert passing to set up a one-time situation that goes bar down that's going to get the fans on their feet. It's just going to be a St. Louis-style game. And St. Louis people here, they pride themselves on being blue-collar. That's why I love this city. And this team has just really captured that imagination of the city because they, they just follow that up. They bring the lunch pails to work, and they just go to work every single night. And they've been keeping it very consistent. So it's been a great start for the Blues. Two final questions for Joey Vitale. Uh, the Blues have dealt with some injuries here recently. Who, in your opinion, has really stepped up and took advantage of the opportunity with more playing time? Maybe they've been elevated to a different line. And also, the Blues brought in a couple of veterans on a tryout. What's the status on those two individuals, and when do the Blues have to make a decision on whether they're going to carry one, if not both of them? Well, Clay, your first question, I think one player, you know, you know, you know the Braden Chens is going to step up. I mean, you depend on those guys. Brian O'Reilly has got to even take his game to a new level. So you're starting to see that. David Perron has been uh, terrific as well. But those, again, are veterans that you, you need that another level from. And, they're, and then they're absolutely getting it. For a surprise for me, a young player that's really stepped up, really took his game not only up one level, maybe two or three, has been Sammy Blay. Uh, last night he made an incredible move. He's coming down this near side wing and he just dives to the middle and then he's got the puck on a stick and some guy's trying to slash him. He can't take it to him. He takes it to the net again. Another drive to the net. He makes a great play. Almost follows up the rebound for a goal. I mean, he's a power forward with hands, with skill, and but most importantly, he's with confidence. He had a great start to the season. He seems to just be thriving off the goals and the point production he had early on with David Prawn and Ryan O'Reilly. And he's a player that's been very consistent in that heavy style, that kind of quote-unquote Craig Berube style of hockey that we're so getting so accustomed to seeing. So Sammy Blay has been a player for me that has really stood out with that new role. I mean, to answer your second question, with Troy Brower, Jamie McGinn, a couple veterans that Doug Armstrong brings in, 
first of all, I like the fact that he brought it in. I like his mindset. I like the way he's thinking. He's saying this is a league built around veterans in a, in a veteran core, not young, fast, quick players. We've seen this throughout the league. Edmonton Oilers are a perfect example. They tried to build their team from young, inexperienced, but fast players. It never worked out very well. Look at the teams in the National Hockey League. They're competing. They're in the first. Boston Bruins, one of the hottest teams in the East. They built their, their game around Marchand, Bergeron, Chara, Crew, Tukaraf. That is their core and their veterans. Same thing with the Washington Capitals. Another team in the East that is built very solid. You look at Ovechkin, uh, Oshie, Carlson, Holpe. I mean, it just, the list kind of goes on and on about that is how that team is built. That is the core and their veterans. So that's why Doug Armstrong brings in a couple experienced guys. Now they have a few more days left on their tryout. I think they're creeping up on day six or seven. They have until 10 days to make a decision. Either they got to sign him to a contract or they got to let him go. The big thing for Doug Armstrong, I think we saw last night, was how is Clem Costin going to work out? Will Clem Costin be a guy that we can lean on in this third, fourth line role to be that smash mouth style, a dependable defender, maybe get in on a little offense, but to play that com- competitive edge every single night? Well, I think Doug Armstrong's got a big decision to make because to me, Clem Costin looked great last night. But if Clem Costin slides off a little bit, maybe Della Rose, who they just got from the Detroit Red Wings, maybe he doesn't work out quite that well. Maybe Doug Armstrong does sign like a Troy Brower, just for example, who he's definitely familiar with going back to 2016. So I think a lot just has to happen here in the next couple of games. Some, some big moments still, opportunities coming for players like Della Rose, uh, Zach Sanford still, and the big one, though, Clem Costin. Doug Armstrong's got to see what he's got in Clem Costin because if he doesn't feel super confident about Clem moving forward, maybe he does get a PTO uh, from one of these veterans. But I know one thing, uh, veteran leadership is something you just cannot have enough of. So that's why I can see maybe one of these players sticking around for a little bit longer, Clay. Joey Vitale, always great to visit with you, sir. I love talking hockey with you, as I'm sure our listeners love listening to you. I'll see you at the rink on Tuesday because a good team in Tampa Bay will roll into St. Louis. That should be fun, especially with Pat Maroon returning. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see the big rig again, Clay. Thanks for talking to me this morning. Uh, Love your show every Sunday, and good luck to you, buddy. We'll see you Tuesday. You got it, my friend. Thank you. He is Joy Vitale. I'm Mike Claiborne. When we come back, we'll have a chance to talk some baseball. Bob Nightingale of the USA Today, he's their fine columnist, will talk to us about what's going on in the big leagues. A lot of stuff going on. We'll find out more after we come back from this break on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. 10.30 in St. Louis. Let's talk some baseball. We'll go to the guest line, and standing by is Bob Nightingale. He's the fine baseball columnist for the USA Today. Bob, good morning. Morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, the general manager's meetings were an interesting sight last week out in Scottsdale, uh, and I guess the big talk was obviously uh, the Houston Astros and what has uh, been uh, discussed about their activities. Give me your thoughts on what you know about this story and what do you think we're headed with it? Well, I think, you know, I think it, the uh, cheating in baseball was, was rampant. I think they're going to make the Astros a scapegoat. You know, it's one thing to cheat with your eyeballs and everything else. It's another thing to do it electronically. So they, they certainly believe that the uh, Astros do it doing electronically, uh, particularly after telling the Red Sox and the uh, Yankees, you know, uh, late that season, hey, enough. You know, the uh, using Apple Watches, Yankees got the wrist slap by using a computer monitor. And so, you know, things have been going on since then. I not, I don't know whether it's been electronically or not, but, you know, with, with people in the bullpen, like signaling signs and things like that, 
things that happen. Now, you know, technically, that's, you know, you're allowed to do that kind of stuff. It's just a, uh, you know, kind of violates ethics code. But I, I really believe by bringing everybody in and everything else, they're trying to get to the bottom of this. And uh, I think the Astros are facing a fine plus perhaps loss of graphics. I think it may get more severe than that, and, and I think we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, this rumor had been swirling for a long time. I, I would say at least three to four years. And there are other teams, as you mentioned, that probably have had to pump the brakes on what they're doing as well. And, and I agree. I don't know if it's widespread, but the Houston Astros aren't the only team that is doing things that uh, gives them a decided advantage courtesy of technology. No, not at all. I mean, you know, these teams that have a uh, huge road, uh, you know, home road splits, you know, everybody looks at those, those teams. So, you know, one of those teams, Milwaukee Brewers, you know, whether it's, you know, real or not, you know, certainly they've had that reputation. Hey, what's going on in Milwaukee? How come they're hitting so well, mm-hmm. you know, at, at Miller Park? You know, do you have cameras in center field or what? So something's got to be done. You know, GMs are talked to say, hey, let's, let's do what the NFL does. You know, the NFL has a uh, – Microphones for the quarterback in their helmet. Let's have a, you know have some kind of thing for the catcher and the pitcher. Maybe even go a uh, you know a watcher, you know something so they can actually so there's no signals at all, you know to steal from, or or at least do what the NFL does, where the only camera feeds inside a stadium are controlled by the NFL. Make sure all the camera feeds are controlled only by Major League Baseball at, at ballparks. Well, I think it's something we're going to hear a lot more of before it's over with. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, a couple of other things that have come into play. We we had a, a legitimate free agent signing at the general managers meeting, something we don't normally see in Will Smith going to Atlanta. Uh, do you think we'll have a different approach about uh, free agent signings in the offseason where everybody's not waiting until March before they find out where they're going to work? Well, talking to the agents there, they say there's been a, a lot more signs of aggressiveness uh, you know, by front offices so far. So they say their, their their phones have been ringing a lot quicker and a, a lot more urgency. So we'll see. You know, and then someone says, you know, you know, why is it why is it be more urgency? It, and maybe it's because of the CBA coming up. Since the uh, the labor agreement ends in two years, maybe if some of these guys get these you know big fat contracts, maybe there won't be an urgency or a, a tendency to want to go to strike because who, who wants to walk away from that kind of money? But, but yeah, sort of there's been a, a, a difference so far, you know, like you said, with Will Smith and, uh, you know, even the Braves re-signing their two guys with, with Flowers and Nick Marcakis. Uh, you know, I think Howie Kendrick will sign here soon. So, yeah, so far so good. Bob Nightingale of the USA Today is our guest this morning on KMOX. It's 1034. Bob, when you look at uh, different teams, and we'll start with the Cardinals, what do you think they're – outlook is for the offseason and what do you think their biggest need is that they can address and I'll start internally and also what are their external options well I think you gotta get a uh gotta get some more offense you know get a third baseman or so you know maybe uh you know maybe you don't have to go get an Anthony Rendon but go get a Mike Moustakis uh there's some pitchers out there too I know they have a lot of internal candidates you know but why not you know Dip into the Zach Wheeler sweepstakes and see what it what it, what it takes. Uh, you know, certainly they're they're well below the luxury tax, so money's money's no problem. It's pretty much what they want to do if they really think they can do it internally. Now I will say, look at the NL Central. 
there's not one team in there that scares you. Like, okay, that's the team to beat. I don't think there is a team to beat in the uh, Central. I, I think it's so there's so little difference between you know everybody but Pittsburgh. Whoever makes the the, the, the right moves can, can win this thing. You know, that's a great point you make because last season, and I thought you and I talked about this. I thought the Central was the deepest. <laughs> division in, in Major League Baseball, and I even thought maybe we would have every team at least at 500. Well, it didn't work out that way, but Pittsburgh's made some changes. Chicago's made some changes. Milwaukee is still searching for pitching. I think Cincinnati is on the upswing, and then you have the Cardinals who won the division, and they're still looking to improve themselves. So it, it's a, a division, I think, that's still trying to find its way, but the Cardinals certainly are in the driver's seat as we speak. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible that, you know, nobody wins 90 games and then everybody's bunched up. But, yeah, I don't, I don't see a, a, a clear-cut, you know, favorite uh, among those teams. You know, maybe, maybe if nobody does anything, uh, the Cardinals are on that team. And right now the team acting the most aggressive is the Cincinnati Reds. We'll see, you know, if they really, uh, you know, walk the talk. But, you know, the Cubs are talking about, you know, stepping with their big stars and, and getting some uh, youth uh, for the future. Well, you know, Milwaukee's got a chance to do something big, particularly if they get some starting pitching because that that offense can be scary. Yeah, but that was a problem they had. I thought last year that they would go out and get more starting pitching, and they tried to sit on what they have. Now, I think their big concern now is their bullpen may be shot because they wore those guys down to the nub. And I, and I think what we saw at uh, Jeffers last year and how he just flamed out, you may see that with another guy or two within their bullpen and the way they were used. Yeah, I mean, probably the best thing for that bullpen was that they got knocked out in the wild card game, particularly for Josh Hader. <laughs> I thought, you know, they really used Hader a lot. I think the thing for Hader's career was that a, uh, you know, they were done, you know, three weeks early. So you're right about that. They also have two free agents, you know, with, with the catcher leaving in uh, Grandal and uh, Mike Musakis. And I, I don't think they're going to sign either one of those guys. Well, they, that could be quite interesting for them. All right, Bob, before we let you go, uh, give me the one story we should be start to pay closer attention to this week as we start to move into the direction of the winter meetings in December. Well, you know, things start to happen, yeah, right around this week. And uh, it seems like when we see some trades go down or things go down, it's it's uh, after the meetings, before the winter meetings. So, you know, I think keep an eye on the uh, – and the Cubs to see if they really move this guy. They sound serious, uh, whether it's going to be a, uh, a Bryant or, or a Baez, uh, you know, something like that, which, which would be big. You know, I don't think a, a Kyle Schwarber is a big move for him, but certainly a Baez or a Bryant is. In, uh, and that would open some doors. I don't see, I know everybody's talking about Mookie Betts. I still can't see the Red Sox moving Mookie Betts. He's going to make $28, $29 million in uh, arbitration. You only have him for one year. I just don't see a team giving much in volume return whatsoever. And I think that's a good point you make because with bets being free to go after this season, not the same with Bryant. So maybe there's a little bit more of a haul for a guy like Bryant compared to bets. And if you're the new general manager in Boston, do you st- do you want to be the guy that moved Mookie Betts? In that situation, I mean, you know, they had a guy that did that for Babe Ruth, and it didn't work out well for the Red Sox. And I just don't think you want to see a marquee player like that be dealt just because if you don't think you can get a legitimate haul in return. No, they have everybody coming back. I mean, that team uh, on paper, 
you know, is the same team pretty much that won the World Series two years ago. Why not trade up right to keep this team? I just don't know either why why you would trade a Mookie bet. I mean, here's a uh, here's a city with a whole lot of racial tension over the years. You know, they they changed the street from uh, you know Yaki Avenue to back to Jersey Avenue, and all of a sudden now uh, you have a, a huge black star. So are you really going to trade this guy? Uh, it seems pretty difficult. Different critical what they do. So they're much better off if they have bets. He walks away as a free agent, so be it. If you want to trade him with your other race in July, you'll go ahead and do that. I, I just don't see why you would trade him now and get pennies on the dollar. Stay tuned. It should be interesting. Bob, as always, we thank you for your time. We'll look forward to seeing you out in San Diego for the winter meetings. In the meantime, we'll continue to read your great work with the USA Today. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. He's Bob Nightingale. I'm Mike Claiborne. When we return, Chris Raby caught up with Mike Schilt just after it was announced he was the manager of the year in the National League. If you didn't hear it then, you're going to hear it next because it's on your way here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. The National League Manager of the Year, kind enough to give us a couple minutes before he ducks out to dinner. Mike, congratulations, man. Do you remember uh, hearing those words through the monitor, or was it all just kind of a blur? Um, yeah, Chris, I appreciate it, man. It was a little bit of a blur, you know, um, it's just very surreal the whole the whole experience um still probably hadn't set in but um you know it was just so good to have people you care about around you when you, you get the announcement and be able to share that with them because that's ultimately what this is it's a shared award and you're in jupiter with the staff right now going over some stuff right i know shouldn't be surprised about that but but to have your staff especially around you and to have you know those guys who are by your side in the dugout every day around you i know how much they mean to you on and off the field what was that like and, and what was the significance for you very significant very important um you know win or lose whatever happened it was gonna, it was still a nice accomplishment for the staff you know oliver marmo our bench coach mike maddox our pitching coach brian Eversgird, our bullpen coach pop warner third base coach w clap our first base coach jeff albert hitting coach joe bellamina as assistant hitting coach and of course uh, Willie McGee, you know, our outfield coach. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's just, you know, there's a lot of tentacles to what we do and a lot of us to be successful. But, you know, our field staff deserves a ton of credit. You know, we use the, the war wins above replacement to, you know, evaluate players. And I can tell you this, our staff war is very high. It's a very special group. It's a close group. It's a group that's very sincere about caring about our organization of the St. Louis Cardinals caring about our players, caring about them getting better, and, and then also figuring out every day how we can best use every resource we can possibly use to be prepared to give our players and us a chance to compete and win every day. And, and this group did that every single day all year long. And, and for that, I'm very grateful and blessed. And, and uh, like I said, the team award to be able to be down here with the guys to, to figure out how we move forward and, and, and get better next year to share that with them is very special. Mike Schilt is your National League Manager of the Year. You've been a part of this organization for so long, Mike, as as so many have. But as you think back on this year, the postseason run, the accolades for your team, uh, what's one thing you learned about the group that you have and the group that you will gather in front of in just a couple of months in Florida before the 2020 journey begins? Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we want to capture what we did well. We want to build off the confidence of this past season. 
Um, but we also want, and we'll continue to think about what this looks like. And I'll, I'll use former managers like Tony and Whitey as, as guidance for that. You know, how do we build off of it um, and, and, and make sure we're head, everyone's head's in the right place to start again and build what was a very productive this past season into springboarding from that, but also starting at a, at a, at a ground zero to say, Hey man, let's go. We, we haven't accomplished anything this year yet. I know I asked you this during the playoff run, Mike, but as you think about the last year and a half, but your first full year as a big league manager, did anything surprise you? Did you learn anything about yourself? Uh, I know you continue and, uh, you'll always be a self-evaluator or one of your harshest critics, but what have you learned over the last, you know, 10 months going back to the start of camp last year? Well, that's a great question. Um, constantly learning. You know, one of the personal mantras I've always had that served me very well is being comfortable with what I don't know, but very convicted with what I do know. Um, and then creating an environment that if there's, for an example, today we had a great. The specifics won't don't don't matter, Chris. But you know we have a very, I think, very healthy environment to say. Me saying I'm convicted about this, whatever X is, and then having a staff member look to me and say, you know what, I don't think that's accurate. Um, this is, and this is why, and me being. Even though I've got conviction, or our staff has conviction to say, "Oh, wait, wow," and then me giving that counterpoint to say, "No, I really believe this," and then being talked to and and, and you're the man, and um, and shared with that you know what, you're not you're not as right as you think you are, um, but that's being comfortable with what you. Thank you. That's being comfortable with what you don't know as well, and. Um, that's a very good place to be at. And we and everyone comes from that place. We're not trying to, as Gary O'Rock would say, we're not trying to protect our turf. Our turf is the St. Louis Cardinals. It's not my turf. It's not a, a staff member's turf. It's what is the best way we as an organization can move forward. And so, you know, maybe a vague answer to your question, but that's how we approach things, give you a little insight to say, hey, I don't know something. Help me out here. And, and be open to that, but also I convicted. I'm going to fight for what I do know, and then even still from there, look at what the best practice is. And um, real quick story of that Mr. Kissel um, in in 2008 um, was his last spring training. It was my first spring training of quote unquote running spring training, and he was in the room. Of course, we didn't know it was unfortunately his last spring training at the time, but I just turned and you know addressing the the player development staff and I said you know Mr. Kissel we're, we're not going to change anything we're going to keep things moving just like you've had a moving for the last 60 plus years and um, he was gracious and appreciated that that was great and then literally Chris walked out of the room and walked outside to start our day and he came up to me and he pointed his finger and he said let me tell you something you better make it better you better not keep it the same it better be better and so that always obviously you know 11 years, 12 years later resonated with me that we don't have all the answers. And we, you know, as Adam Olsen would say, our head trainer, once you think you're ripe, you're rotten. So 
you know, we just look and continue to figure out a way to be better and be open-minded about it and, and then find our best practice and then be convicted like heck to go after it. Mike, we'll let you get to dinner, but you mentioned Mr. Kissel or whether it's, you know, Dave Ricketts, Red Shanding, so many that have, you know, helped pave the way for you. I know you're thinking about your mom and, and we've been thinking about you and your family with her passing and offer our condolences to you guys. But what was it like to share, you know, becoming a big league manager with her? I know you told us that was your first call on the ride of the last year and a half and getting into the postseason. What was that like? And, and what were you thinking about uh, as you were named the National League Manager of the Year and, and thinking about your mom? You know, I just took a moment before, and again, I, it, it kind of hit me. And again, I'm not a big individual award guy, so the whole thing was like, okay, it's great. Um, but it was, it was, it was really an interesting experience. The whole thing because you're sitting in a room, and you just got a camera, so you don't know. And there's, a, you know, there's Counts and Snit and the the guys in their studio, and but you don't, I don't see it, and so. And then there's just you go through the the, the interview and you, they ask you the questions you answer them and and then there's this break and you're just sitting there yeah and um and you know so you're like okay and I just had a moment real respect to my mom and my dad my dad passed in '97 and and um I just I just had a moment with them like and it wasn't about hey I'm gonna win the award or I'm not gonna win the award it was really just and it was a little more geared toward my mom. I talk, talk to my dad every day, multiple times, but, um, you know, it's new talking in that, in that way with my mom. Cause I, I'm used to calling her every day and emailing every day and talking to her. And so, but I just had a moment right, be, right before it got announced and just like, just grateful for them. And, and I was present with them and, and I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't thinking about, Oh, I got to win the award for you guys. No, I didn't, I didn't care. Cause I, that wouldn't be accurate. Um, but I just, at that moment, it's like, you know, I'm just grateful for what they gave and sacrificed for me and the love unconditional and the support unconditionally they gave to me. And so I just had that, that moment with them. And then literally I I, kind of got snapped out of it with this thing in my ear going, uh, we're back and they're going to announce the winner. And then it was announced. I was like, whoa, (laughs) So hopefully that helped answer your question. No, it's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, man. And man, I just, I know everyone is so elated and and so excited about the future. Congratulations to you, to your staff, the whole organization, uh, the right, the 38 year old right-hander you guys signed today. Um, Absolutely. Let's don't forget that. That's that's the best news of the day. Forget manager of the year. I know. I know. Um, It's just, it's been a great day and, Certainly well-deserved. We'll let you get to dinner, my man, and uh, I'll see you in about three weeks out in San Diego. And thanks so much for calling in. Appreciate it. All right, Chris. Appreciate it. Have a blessed evening. All right. That's Mike Schilt, the National League Manager of the Year. Nice job, Chris Raby, visiting with Mike Schilt. And, uh, you know, everybody who's been around Mike, uh, it was just tickle pink about him winning the award. Um, I I have the pleasure of having a chance to talk to him every day uh, during the season. And you always learn something, not just about baseball, but as about him as a person. And uh, a lot of people rooting for him. I, I told him, I think it was a couple of weeks before the season ended, and I said, you know, when we win the division, you're going to be manager of the year. And he kind of looked at me. And, I, and the way I explained it, I felt that they wouldn't give it to Brian Snitker two years in a row, although he did a phenomenal job in Atlanta. Craig Council 
would not have been able to win it because his team didn't even win the division because Mike would have won the division. And, and Craig did a phenomenal job, especially when they lost Yelich and, and how well and how hard Milwaukee played down the stretch. They just came up a, a hair short, which I thought Mike Schilt was the guy who remained consistent. Uh, I thought the series in Chicago was one of the more memorable series of the entire season. And then they come back home and win when they needed to. Uh, it was a, it was a fun run to watch him work and to watch him manage. And when you watch teams play, you you never take into account how much preparation goes into nine innings or more. And to watch his staff and to watch how much work they put in and and how they had most of the players buying into what they were trying to to pass on was as Mike said in the outset of the interview with Chris. It, this was about the staff too. And they don't get as much credit as they deserve uh, because they're just silent workers. But, man, it, it all came together for everyone uh, within the Cardinal organization. And, and Mike Schultz is the face of that with respect to the, the manager's job. And uh, I'm looking forward to him winning it a few more times. It may be harder because, as I said, they don't like to give it to a guy back-to-back. But, man, uh, he, he did a terrific job and looking forward to uh, – what's going to happen in 2020 because uh, the Cardinals, uh, as I said to Bob Nightingale, really look like it's going to be theirs to lose if they add a few things and hopefully some other people come through because I think the other teams within the division are, are maybe going through a little bit of a transition. I think Cincinnati should be better, though. Um, you know, if they get a little bit more help, they could be a handful, especially in that ballpark. But overall, I think it's going to be a fun season and uh, we haven't even had a real legitimate snowfall yet, so we got a lot of time to talk about baseball. Our uh, countdown to opening sh- day show will start when we get out to uh, San Diego. Chris Raby and I will be out there for the winter meetings. That's always an interesting time, and we'll see how things unfold there, but a lot of things can happen leading up to it, and we'll find out a little bit more about that in the next hour because John Mazalock's going to join us. We'll also hear from Barry Odom in the next hour as well. And we may have another surprise or two. Next segment, we're going to have a chance to just talk a few other things on my mind that I'll get to and share with you. And hopefully you can share with me your thoughts. And that all comes your way in the next hour on Sports on a Sunday Morning. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening. And we have more to come after we have the news at the top of the hour on Your Voice, KMOX. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.